hey everybody. Good afternoon. Uh, you all made it here. It's pretty warm out. I kind of wondered if I wondered if a few of you would uh, want to just stay home because it's pretty hot out. But it's great to see that you all came. Welcome. Uh, if you haven't been here before, uh, we want to welcome you as well. Thanks for coming. And if you would like to find out more about what we do, feel free to talk to me after the service or Pastor Bill or any of the volunteers and we'd, we would love to tell you more about uh, our mission here and what we do. Uh, I was in Michigan for a couple weeks and seeing family, taking a break from work and seeing nep- my nephews and my friends and that was great. I drove back here on uh, Monday, or yeah, Tuesday I came back. Uh, it was an 11-hour trip. So I stopped halfway in Pittsburgh with a friend and then did the last five hours coming back. But it's just, as I was in Michigan, I was itching to get back. I really do feel called here. It's becoming my home. I love the people. I love serving you all and getting to know you all. And so just wanted to share that with you guys today. Um, so before we start, why don't we... Uh, go to God in prayer. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we lift up our voice to you now. We praise you for all that you are, all that you have done uh, in our lives, Lord, blessing us with good gifts and good spiritual gifts, Lord. We thank you for being our Heavenly Father who uh, loves us, cares for us, guides us along our, our journey to heaven to be with Jesus, Lord. And I pray today that as we open your word that we might learn a little bit more about you, Lord. We might see how awesome you are. We might see ourselves as your creatures created by you. And that it might move us to to want to worship you, Lord, every day to worship you. And so, Lord, I pray this all in your son's name. Amen. So we're doing the series in Genesis, as you probably know by now. Um, and one of the things that I've been trying to just to do is just really to show you, to teach you about the Christian worldview from the Bible, to teach you about God uh, being created by him and his image, and really to, to, to give you a glimpse into the reasonableness of, of that fact. The world today will say, come on, man, there is no God. Uh, our science disproves that. That's just silly. That's just wrong. We can't even see him. And we, we want to know things that are facts, things that we can see. But I, I really want to, to shoo away that idea. And, and that if you just look out into creation, if you read scripture, it will become clear that God created you. He created all things. And so one of the tracks, so Pastor Bill mentioned that I got a bunch of free material I, indeed, I did. I reached out to a few bookstores, and they agreed to donate a bunch of Christian resources. And one of the books uh, that I got is Why Believe in God. It's not on there, but if uh, there was only one or two copies, but it was, so it's not on there. But if anybody would like a copy of this, I can make a copy. So just come up to me afterwards, tell, tell me your name, and I can make that copy for you. But he says in this book... I just wanted to share uh, it with you. He says, he's talking to an unbeliever, someone who doesn't believe in God, 
and the person that he's talking to is saying, well, you, you, were, you grew up in the church. That's why you believe. And so this man, Cornelius Ventil, who wrote this, he responds by saying this. Just, just follow along here. He says, I don't deny that I was taught to believe in God when I was a child, but I do affirm that since I have grown up, I have heard a pretty false statement of the argument against belief in God. And it is after hearing, having heard that argument that I am more than ever ready to believe in God. Now, in fact, I feel that the whole of history and civilization would be unintelligible to me if it were not for my belief in God. So true is this that I propose to argue that unless God is the back of everything, you cannot find meaning anywhere. I cannot even argue for belief in him without already having taken him for granted. And similarly, I contend that you cannot argue against belief in him unless you also first take him for granted. Arguing about God's existence, I hold, is like arguing about air. You may affirm that air exists and I that it does not. But as we debate the point, we are both breathing air all the time. Or to use another illustration, God is like the emplacement on which must stand the very guns that are supposed to shoot him out of existence. And so I was just very intrigued by that quote that God is the precondition for our arguments for him and against him. And that it's just obviously clear that he is the creator of the universe. And so I thought I would share that with you before we start to get back into things. And so if you have your Bible with me today, or with you today, or your phone, please turn to Genesis 2. We finished chapter 1, and now we're on to Genesis 2. And the last verses of chapter 1 uh, was the, the ending of the sixth day. God saw that it was good, and then the second chapter opens with the seventh day. God rests. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 is where we'll start, and we will read to verse 7. My text is verse 7. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord made the earth in the heavens when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground and now our text then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. Again, the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. 
Today, we are seeing more and more the tendency of a world that believes in a materialist uh, worldview. What I mean by materialist here is that it's the idea that nothing exists except matter and its movement. Nothing exists except matter and its movement. That's the, one of the predominant worldviews of the day. The rise of Charles Darwin's doctrine that humanity gradually came into existence through random chance and evolutionary growth is the foundation of this materialist worldview. He says, humanity once was the smallest organism and through millions of years gradually evolved into some sort of creature. From there, Darwin's doctrines of the human, humankind continues to its logical conclusion. He teaches that the, from the smallest of life forms came a larger life form, like that of an animal. Slowly but surely, humanity grew up from a small organism to, to an animal, and then an ape, a homo sapien, finally then culminating in, into humanity as we know it. And the growth, this, this, this worldview does not stop here. According to one philosopher, Friedrich Nietzsche, humanity will continue in this growth unto moral perfection as we advance from one generation to another. He, he believed humanity is gradually getting better and better and will culminate in the almighty Superman. Humanity will reach superhuman heights, thus reaching its ideal peak, moral perfection. And according to Karl Marx, this superhuman height will only be reached by looking deep within, uh, uh, within, looking deep within oneself to learn about human nature, and then moving towards action and cleansing the evil structures in society through constant revolution and governmental of governmental structure. And so this theory of of the doctrine of humankind, from the tiniest of organisms to superhuman morality, is the philosophical context of our day. But up against this materialistic, man-glorifying doctrine is the more reasonable doctrine of humankind found in Holy Scriptures, the Bible. Holy Scripture roots humankind's origin at a specific moment in history, on the sixth day of creation, Genesis 1, verse 31. Scriptures state that God created male and female in his image and formed humanity out of the dust of the earth and breathed into their nostrils the breath of life. Humankind was created in a mature state, in a state of sinless, sinlessness, with the purpose of tilling the ground, this creation of humankind by the hand of God was done with the purpose of humanity reflecting God, the triune God as a unity and diversity in their structure and in their function of subduing the earth. Humanity reflecting God as a unity and diversity is, is the calling to do exactly that which God had just done, create and subdue. We, we see this in Adam's creative act of naming the animals, Adam and Eve's rulership over the earth, and the call to be fruitful and multiply. 
And so the text before us today will display for us the superior place that Scripture gives to humankind up against the reigning worldviews or philosophical uh, thought of the day. The worldview of the, the, the day desires a high place for humankind. But their doctrine, their teaching gives us nothing to cling to except for a nihilist existence or an existence that is nothing. There's nothing after death. You die, you go to the earth, that's it. That, that's the end of their teaching. So there's, there's no point. There's nothing after death. And in fact, they say, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Whereas God's account of humanity in Holy Scripture places us in history as the lowly pinnacle of creation by the powerful breath of God as a living creature who reflects him for his glory and our good. And so we will consider then the lowly pinnacle of creation by noticing three principles within the text. First, we'll consider dust. Second, the breath of life. And then third, the living soul. First of dust. The text begins by stating that the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground. Of first importance is that the text states the Lord God formed man. The Lord God who is from beginning formed humankind. The all-powerful God who spoke everything into existence formed humankind. This puts humankind before the almighty God as his creature. It puts humankind before God as his servant. His servant who is to seek out his will in all things. God formed humankind, as the text states, of the dust from the ground. God spoke Adam into existence, forming his body from the dust from the ground as a potter would do with clay. Actually, the Hebrew word for man is ha-adamah, which literally means earth or ground. This is where Adam gets his name. God the potter spoke and thus formed of dust, a diverse and mature being. And he, he did this uh, with Eve too. He, he pulled the rib from Adam's side and he formed Eve from that rib. And, and so we see here that God has all control and power over the dust of the earth. There could not be a greater division between the two, in fact. He formed and shaped humanity from dust. That There's nothing lower than dust, Right? And so he formed and shaped humankind in all of its diversity as, as a single unity to reflect God, the triune God. And so humankind being created of dust is proven to be that which is completely subordinate. Oftentimes when we talk about God creating humanity, we, take, we might take an imbalanced approach. And we might say, God created us in his image. And it's so easy to leave it at that. Humanity was created in God's image. We have dominion over the earth. We're called to subdue it. But humanity then is only seen from one side of the larger whole. We are only understood positively. If we leave the explanation of humankind at simply being created in God's image, the positive aspect, there's a, a tendency to lift ourselves up in pride 
and to raise ourselves to a place that is not ours. A place that might deem us as, as little sovereigns. And then we become no better than the, the, the philosophers of the day who, who make life in the world all about humanity. And then we, we might be tempted to say, like they said at the Tower of Babel, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top in heaven, into the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. But the text here specifically states the negative. Humankind was formed of dust. By proclaiming that humankind is of the dust, proclaims humble image-bearing. We understand that we are nothing but dust. We understand that we are just specks of dust on this earth. Specks of dust who are are called to live a quiet and peaceable life serving the Lord. And then we also understand being dust, we are going to go to dust someday. We, We will return to dust when we die. We then come to an understanding of life that does not revolve around us whatsoever, you see. It doesn't revolve around me. It doesn't revolve around you. This is undoubtedly true because of what we're reading and we're learning from Scripture, but it's also proven in creation. The the astronomer Galileo proved Copernicus's theory that the earth and we, and therefore us, are not the center of the universe. What he found is that the earth revolves around the sun, and that the earth is not the only planet with a moon in its orbit. Therefore, there is nothing for us to boast about in and of ourselves. We are but dust, but the dust and mud of the earth. If we let this truth, this reality shape us in our worldview, we'll function every day and all day as a humanity who desires nothing but to give the glory and the praise to God. And we will seek uh, his will rather than ours. And we will enjoy communion with him. Now let us consider the breath of life. We, we, cons- we, we already considered that God created man out of the dust of the earth. But then the text states that he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So God created the physical structure of humankind using dust. Yet this forming of humankind's structure by using dust was not enough for humankind to become the image bearer. Without without the breath of life, Adam was motionless. He was like a, a wax statue, if you will. There had to be the breathing of God into his nostrils to give him life. Again, the, the worldview of the day denies this. They state that humanity came from a bang, a bang that started the slow process of life that eventually led us to where we are now and, and will ultimately culminate in some sort of superhuman presence. A superhuman presence, they say, that will be morally flawless once all the systems of oppression that are the cause of all evil are restructured. Once this happens, they say humanity will be flawless and complete. But the biblical narrative fights this. It, it really kills this worldview. 
The, the biblical narrative does, finds humankind's origin of life not in something that is abstract or unknown history or, or dark past that we can't really probe into where we work ourselves up to some sort of moral perfection. No, it does not do that. Rather, it roots living and being and becoming in the life giver himself. God breathed into humankind, giving us life. And God, as I mentioned before, did this at a specific time. There's no mysteries like the mysteries within evolutionism. There are no mysterious epochs or age out of which humanity grew up. No periods of consisting of millions of years that are unknown to us. It's specifically stated that the God who separated the light from the darkness and created plants, animals, stars, and sky, that same God breathed through his life-giving power into, the, into humanity's nostrils at a specific point in time. And from that historical creative act, humanity developed and multiplied greatly. Just read the creation story found in Genesis and then all the repetitive genealogies starting at chapter 4, then 5, 10, 22, and so on. They are there to tell us something. It is, it's not a myth or a fairy tale. The creation account and the genealogies are there to tell us that Adam and Eve and all their posterity are historical characters. These genealogies are there to teach us about the historical development of humanity, all of which finds its life in God. Do you see then what this does to our existence? Not only are we subordinate to God because we are his creatures and because we are formed of dust, but we were made for life. Opposed to the worldview of the day that is dark and unknown to us, the Bible teaches us that we were granted life for, from God and that we were made precisely for continual life. Life is given from God so that we might glorify him and enjoy him forever. We are not creatures that find our meaning internally or creatures who find their meaning from other men or women, but we are creatures who find the meaning of life in the powerful and transcendent triune God. We are not creatures who go searching far and wide for meaning, ultimately to be led down a a path of nothingness or pessimism or foggy unknowns. No, we are creatures whose hearts are restless until we rest in the Lord God, the life giver who gives meaning for our life. God who created all things and personally breathes into the nostrils of humanity so that they would see their life in him and continue to find their life in him. This is significant for us today. The personal breathing of life from God into Adam and Eve shows us that they are part of his special creation. John 3.16, a well-known passage maybe to all of you, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. God so loved the world. He loves his creation, every aspect of it. You see, 
the philosophies and worldviews of the day want to make it all about humanity. They will say, you, you can't measure into spiritual things. You can't probe into them. So there must not be any spiritual reality. Therefore, life is all about humanity. It's all about us. It's all about the material humanity. But the, God's word rejects this and upholds life. Life given from God himself. It states that man and women were created by God. It is solely about God and his love for creation. Humanity's existence is not inward then. It is, it is outward. It's about seeking and praising the life giver. It is about magnifying the life giver's name. It is about continually finding life in him. What a blessing it is that each day when you and I wake from our sleep that we still have life. What a gift this life is. We have the privilege of enjoying another day of life and all that it entails. Work, fellowship with God, with other humans, play, and many other things. And so praise God for that. See that and, and, and praise God and, and live out that reality that your, your eyes need to be fixed on God, the life giver. Not, not on me and my wants and my desires, but on the one who, who created me. And, and thank him for those good gifts that he, he gives you, that, that this life, you have another day where you're breathing, your body is functioning. And, and notice then, when you, when you do that, that the purpose that comes with this, Godward disposition, notice that it's far more meaningful and far more reasonable than that of the world's worldview. Just think about it like this. If life came about randomly, then, li- then the life you and I live is all about you and I. There's nothing to look to. Why then would we care for other people? Why do we care about fixing problems here on earth? Why would there be any other care in our hearts unless it concerns only you or me personally? Truly, that is the logical end of the dominating worldview today. It's all about me to the detriment of everyone else and everything else. But the purpose that comes with life found in the triune God removes us from ourselves so that we might first and foremost glorify him and to seek to love all other people who are given the same breath of life. Any and everybody that comes along your path, your neighbor. That's the purpose that God's word gives you. Out of this purpose comes reasonableness. Although the worldview of the day is rooted in, in random life and is only concerned with the self, it does talk a lot about fixing society, right, and becoming better humans. We hear it all the time on, on the news and on the radio. This is, their, this is the goal of their worldview. But this cannot come about because of their starting point. If life is random and if life is only concerned about the individual self, there will be no culmination 
of humankind in a morally superhuman society. People will and are too caught up in themselves for this to happen. But the reasonableness of the testimony of God's word is that it finds humankind's culmination in Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ willingly came to this earth, not by force, but willingly, and he obeyed God's will perfectly and glorified his Father in all that he did, specifically in loving his neighbor. He did good to all men and all women, and he, he did the greatest good, which is to die for some sins. He died on the cross bore the sins of his people, gave them his righteousness that they did not deserve, brought about new life within them by the Spirit, and and therefore redeems people's life from the pit. Just ask any Christian what they were rescued from. They're going to say, myself and my own lusts and my desires and where they brought me, the devil in the world. Just ask another Christian about their testimony and that is what they will say. The Bible's testimony of human, humanity's origin and purpose do not only logically make sense and have order, but they follow through on their end goal. There will be a day when there is no more sin, suffering, death, disease, tears, natural disasters, injustice, or sorrow. There, and even now today, Christians experience this. The new life that the Holy Spirit works in them. They see how they're being sanctified. They're, they're, they're walking and living a more holy life by the grace of God. Things that they used to do, drugs or other addictions or whatever it may be, God has progressively pulled them away from that to Him in Jesus Christ. And not only personally, but just look at human history and the impact that Christianity has had on all of Western civilization. And then believe that it reaches its ultimate end. Jesus Christ came, giving new life to all those who believe in him. And he will redeem them from this cursed earth. And then finally, uh, the living soul. Thus far we have dealt with humanity formed of dust and being given the breath of life. Now we, we move to our last point, that humanity is a living soul or creature. What is meant here is the life principle, the life principle that is given to all living creatures that God has made. God has formed humankind of the dust. He breathed breath into their nostrils. Um, and now... Humanity became a living being. We owe our our breathing, our eating, our drinking, our standing, our sleeping, our arising, our moving, and our becoming all to the good creator who made us as living beings. We owe our capacity to be able to do all that we do to God. This then, listen, directs your worship to him and your praise to him alone. It centers us in this life as we walk, as we talk, sleep, and rise. 
the fact that God made us living beings and that he tells us in his word that this is the case is the greatest gift of God revealing himself to us. Why would we then want to run from this? Or why would we want to come up with other philosophies about how we came about or our existence? For it is clear that we were created by God. Humanity as a unity and a diversity, male, female, young, old, black, white, mother, father, daughter, reflects the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in that it is diverse, but it is all of one substance. Humanity made of dust, given the breath of life, And made into living beings is merely one of the reflections on this earth of the triune Godhead. For all of creation reflects this triune God. The rivers, the forests, the mountains, the deserts, the oceans, all make known the existence of a triune God every day. They are diverse, but they make up one organic whole. The world tells us that we are made in the image of humanity. They say, be who you truly are. Look within yourself to find out who you are. Be who you want to be. Don't let anyone tell you what to do. You are the maker of your own story. Is this not what the world is saying? Taking the world's philosophy leads us back to ourselves. It points us internally. But think about this. What, what, what does that lead you to? It leads you to all kinds of problems and issues. If we are left to ourselves, we walk the road of destruction. We follow our lusts and our desires. And they trouble us because they go against other people's desires and lusts whatever they may be they'll, they'll they'll enslave you to a variety of things just take time to think about it drugs food food money sex whatever else it may be anything when sought after while we are on the throne that is the center of life enslave us and only lead us to any and every problem under the sun The posture of self-control control or self-sovereignty where we put ourselves on the throne, it leads to depression. It leads to anxiety, paranoia, physical death, disease, deformity, hate, murder, theft, greed, uncontrollable lust, and every calamity known under the sun. That is why Solomon King Solomon says, I mean, he was the man who knew that. He searched everything out. If there was some sort of pleasure, he had it, he did it. But this is why he says in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 14, I have seen all of the works that are done under the sun, all of them, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of the spirit. It's all meaningless under the the sun, All is vanity under the sun, says Solomon, when life is understood to revolve solely around humanity. But the Bible says you and I are formed of dust, filled with the breath of life. 
and made into living creatures. The Bible sheds light on, on reality and offers a vision for, all, for, for those who are lost in this way. The Bible puts God at the center of the universe with humanity far, far inferior and uh, subordinate to him. The Bible puts humanity underneath God as a creature made by him and a servant. When understood correctly, this worldview, humanity regains its strength, purpose, and ultimately their joy and satisfaction. No more do we have to use our intellect or our abilities and strive to form vain philosophies for the masses to find origin and purpose. No more do we have to strive to to become better in our own strength. We can now rest in the creator God who formed us of dust, breathed life into our nostrils, and made us living beings. We can look to God as the true biologist. We can look to God, the true philosopher. And we can look to God, the true politician. For he is the creator, the sustainer, the life giver, and the one in whom we find true purpose and meaning for our lives. And of course, this purpose and meaning found in God finds its mediation, it's, it's, it's bringing us to God in Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ came down to earth to remove our blindness of sight, of seeing these things, our deafness of ears from hearing these things, and the suppression of God that we willingly do in our minds. He removes the blindness of our eyes, the, the blinders that the horses wear is what I'm thinking, that keeps us from seeing God and creation. And he removes our deafness to his word. And in turn, he, renew, he renews our minds day in and day out as we read scripture, as we come under the preaching of his word so that we may worship him rather than ourselves or other people or, or materials. If you are here today and and you don't know him, repent. Repent of your sins. If you do not subscribe to the truth of God's word and you don't believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, repent of that. Confess that to God. Say, Lord, I have been blind. And then run to Jesus Christ for mercy and free forgiveness of all your sins, past, present, and future. For the time is coming when, when, when a judgment will take place. Christ is on his way. He is coming. Maybe you are here and you, you're ignorant. You, you don't, you've never heard the gospel preached. Maybe you are here as someone who is searching for meaning and purpose in this life. The life that is here today and gone gone tomorrow. All flesh is grass, is what the Bible says. Here today, gone tomorrow. Come then to Jesus Christ by faith. Repent of your sins. Believe in the risen Christ for full salvation. 
trust, have confidence that he is your savior. Maybe, maybe you're, you're here and you're not as sympathetic. You are militating against Jesus Christ. Maybe you are anti-God, anti-Christ. Maybe you are like a Darwin or a Friedrich Nietzsche or Karl Marx. You live in unbelief because you cannot see past yourself in this material life. The same call goes out to you. It's simple. Repent of your hardened heart. Ask the Lord to soften it. Call upon the name of the Lord. And as Romans 10 verse 13 states, for everyone who calls upon the, Lord, the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus Christ is coming and you can be assured of this. And when he comes, there will be a judgment. For God says that he has already judged the great horror which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and has avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. He's already judging right now. And Jesus Christ is coming precisely to judge those who have led so many astray. He's coming to judge those who blaspheme his name. And really, all of us by nature, whether we are a believer now, we all were those false teachers, ones who were militating against God. So nobody is is better than another. We all, by nature, are rebellious. But repent and receive the grace of Jesus Christ. Confess with a broken heart that you in doing this are the chief of all sinners and Jesus will readily forgive you. He will bring you into the fold. He will greet you with open arms. He will clothe you with his white robes which are his righteousness. And finally as Revelation 22 verse 17 says, and let him that heareth say, and let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, I thank you for time to study your word, to learn more about you and the purpose and the meaning that you give me and that I may be able to share it with other people, Lord. For truly, this is all that I have in life and in death. That's you. I have nothing else. Everything else goes away, but I am certain of you. And so, Lord, use this word in some small way to comfort the lives of those who do believe, to remind them of your goodness and your grace and your creativeness. And then, Lord, use this Use these, your word and my words, Lord, to maybe uh, make those who, who, who don't believe in you to rethink their position, to ask good questions, to, to doubt, dive into your word and other good materials, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, for each one of these people here, uh, those who have been my friends and, and come up to me and have talked to me, Lord, I thank you for them. And those who I am still uh, just getting to know, Lord. I thank you for them. These, these people are all your creatures, Lord, and help them to receive the grace and love that uh, is in Jesus Christ today. And then may they be 
moved to, to, to worship you every day as they live this life. And may they be moved to join a, a community of believers who worship you every week, formally, Lord. And I pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Was there some...